Amen. Good morning. Um, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Romans, if you would, please. You can click there in the New Testament towards the back of our paper Bibles. And we are going through a series right now in the book of Romans entitled, For the Love of God. And we find ourselves at the end of chapter 4 once again. Um, we're going to camp out here for just a little bit longer and then... Lord willing, next week we'll be in chapter 5. So, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, and I'm going to read it and then pray for us. And as I pray, we have um, many uh, teenagers and youth workers that have taken a retreat this weekend and will be coming back um, today, and so we not only want to pray for safety, but the reports, there was a whitewater rafting trip, so um, they had a lot of fun, and we want to pray that uh, God uh, just continues to move in their lives. It was, uh, the reports have been really good of what God has been doing there, and so thankful for that, and uh, so I want to pray for them, and then we have um, a few of our members that have uh, come down with COVID, and we want to pray for them as well in this season of of all kinds of unknowns, we want to pray for God to uh, be near to those who are hurting. So let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that our hope is not in our abilities. Not in our strongness, but our hope is in you. And so, Father, I just pray that in this moment, you would ready our hearts for your word. Make much of yourself. I anticipate that your spirit has not only been at work, will not only be at work, but is at work right now in the hearts of your people. And so with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I have a confidence that you have something in store for us in this moment from your word as we have gathering as we are gathering now with your people to change our lives, to reorient our affections to Christ. I pray that you would do that in these teenagers' lives, I ask not only for safe travels back home, but God, I ask for a reorientation of values and affections, not only in us, but in the next generation. The more I think about all that you are doing here at this church, the more excited that I grow that we are here around a vision that's worth giving our lives for. Christ crucified, risen from the dead, a gospel that is powerful to save us and those that we speak to. And so, Father, we just ask that the power of your gospel would move today and that it would do a work even as driving happens among these teenagers, God, that you would just cement your word in their heart. And Father, we also ask that you would be with those who are physically hurting. We ask for those who are suffering in so many different ways that I don't even know or that we don't have time to articulate. But God, for those who um, have recently come down with COVID, God, we pray that you would be near to them. 
that they would not lose hope. That, Father, they would know of your love, that, God, you would bring your healing hand upon them. And, God, I ask right now in this time that through your word, you would strengthen us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hope. (laughs) It's a big word. It's a small word, actually, but it has a lot of meaning. If I look at you and I were to ask you in a one-on-one conversation, are you hopeful? Some of you would be like, yes, because something might be going well in your life. You know, the outlook might be bright. I feel pretty good about my job, so I'm hopeful. Marriage seems to be okay right now, so I'm hopeful. Finances don't seem to be like a tragedy, so I'm hopeful. You could have a spiritual answer. I feel really strong with the Lord, so I'm hopeful. Like, I feel His nearness and time with the, in the Word has been precious. I'm hopeful. If I were to ask others of you, are you hopeful? You at minimum might say, I don't know if I would describe my current situation like that. Some of you just be flat out honest, no, I'm not. Because what happens in your life is time with Jesus doesn't feel like really full. It feels like a struggle. Intimacy feels with him feels like a distance rather than a closeness. Your marriage could be a real difficulty. Time with roommates or friends, there could be relational, rather than unity, there could be relational distance or even tension. And if I were to ask you, are you hopeful, you would say, "Mm, I don't think so. And yet when we come to this passage, Abraham's life is held up for us as one who had hope even when he shouldn't have hope. When you should ask him, and there should be every reason why, if I said, are you hopeful, he should say, no. I'm old, and my wife can't have kids. At least she seems way beyond childbearing years. Are you hopeful that the promise of God to bring all the nations underneath you, is that going to happen? He would say, no, I'm not hopeful. But he didn't. Romans 4 says that's not his story. The story is he had hope against hope. And so I just want to lay out to you today, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because God is faithful. He is faithful. That's where hope comes from. If God is certain, if God is consistent, even though our world is massively broken, even though our hearts go up and down, if he is constant, then we can have hope. If God is on the scene, there's hope. So I got a call this week, and Pastor Ron Jure is supposed to be here right now preaching. He was scheduled to preach Romans 5, 1 to 5, this week. And his sweet wife and youngest daughter came down with COVID. And so we made a plan when we found out that then he would record his sermon. 
And so he recorded his sermon, but we were unable to upload it. And so this morning we called an audible, and now I'm here, and we're going to look at Romans 4. And I tell you this to draw attention to one thing, not to Ranjur and not to Sean, not even to sweet Annie and little Naomi, to draw attention to one thing. I have hoped that God did not mess up. I have hope that he is here and he has something for each of us. And his spirit is alive and at work. So I actually have anticipation. And I pray that there is something that happens today that lets you know this relationship we have with God, this thing that we're doing here, it is not going through the motions. It is a vitality that is there for us, a God who shows up in the 11th hour, a God who loves us so much, he will never give up on us. So because he is certain, I have hope. And I hold it out for you. What is hope? It's faith. That is, God, I trust you for something that will happen in the future. So hope is future-oriented, and it's I trust you not only for this moment, but what is to come. I trust you. And the hard thing is, is that we don't know what all is fully going to happen, right? You don't know if your suffering on this earth will diminish or will it increase. Will I ever get married or will I not? Will my marriage find peace and joy or not? I, you, I cannot answer all of these things, but what I can answer is God will not fail. He will not stop being faithful to you as his child. He won't. And so the call when we talk about hope is a call for you to trust that God is with you, he has not diminished in his strength. Might be Old Testament language. Is the arm of the Lord too short? It's not too short to reach you. He's strong. The arm of the Lord is with you. And I just pray that right now as we look to the scriptures, we have a sense of hope. Anticipation or longing for what is to come. A trust in the Lord. So we have three points today. One, from faith to grace to hope. That's actually one point. Point two, hope against hope. And point three, hope rooted in certainty. But let's look at this first one. From faith to grace to hope. Look at the text with me. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. So what is the promise? The promise is God initiated a covenant, a partnership with Abraham that says through you and your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the whole world. There was a promise to 
Abraham that he would go into the promised land. So there would be a land for the people of Israel. But what we see as we read the Old Testament, it's a small picture of what's to come that God is saying that we will be the heir of the entire world. As Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. So the promise is made to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world. And that did not come through doing the law, doing what the law required. It did not come by our efforts, but through the righteousness of faith. It came through trusting in Christ's righteousness. So what that begs us to remember from last week is that there is a requirement for us to have intimacy and fellowship with God. That is that we are righteous. We have the righteousness of God. And now we must ask ourselves, how do we get that righteousness? Well, it makes sense. According to the world around us, we've got to do really good things. And if we do enough good things and the good things outweigh the bad things, then God would accept us based upon our good outweighing our bad. That's not the case. Instead, this requirement of being right before God was proven in the Old Testament. When laws were given, the people of Israel just kept failing. And so they gave, God gave more laws in hopes that it would clarify things, and they kept failing. And more laws, and they kept failing. The story of the Old Testament is that we cannot do what the law requires. So we need a righteousness that cannot come from within. We need a righteousness that has to come from without. It's called the righteousness of faith. It's trusting in Jesus' sacrifice in our place. Our sin put upon him, his righteousness by faith put upon us. That's why it says here that it was credited or counted to our account. This idea of that we are given his righteousness If you look at it there in verse 22, this is why faith was credited to to him as righteousness. That is credited to Abraham. He trusted God's promise, righteousness given to Abraham. This is the component of faith. Now let's keep reading. Verse 14, if those who are out of the law or the adherents of the law are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void because the law brings wrath. If you try to do what the law requires, the law only shows us to be sinners, and wrath is our just desert. For where the law brings wrath, where there is no law, there is no transgression. But when the law comes, it shows a dividing line, we break the line, we deserve wrath. That's why our failure is why it depends on faith. Verse 16, keep reading with me. In order that the promise may rest on grace. If you remember from last week, all this is review from last week. If you remember what grace is, grace is God's unmerited favor. His unmerited favor. The way I talk about it with my kids is it's it's God's help. It's his help to us that we did not earn, do not deserve. And this idea of favor shows that we actually get his pleasure. So let's just break it down. Faith, we trust in him. When we realize that it is not by our righteousness, but by trusting in him, it shows that everything depends on grace because faith is just receiving. It's not doing, it's receiving. And let me just summarize grace. Grace is God's help, and what he does is he covers our sin. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus, 
And because we, like, have new clothes on, the righteousness of Jesus, God looks at us with pleasure. The illustration I used last week was just like you look at a sunset and your heart is just filled with delight. He looks at you because of faith and delights in you. That's grace. It's all there in that word. And so he goes on to say, May rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, not only to those who are out of the law, namely the Jews, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. And then the text goes on. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, I'm going to come back to that for the second point. But here's where I want us to go. If we have faith and trust in him, we realize that it rests upon grace, not upon our works. And if he has given us his help, his favor, his affection, then we have hope. That's the trajectory of the text. Faith, it rests on grace. If we have his favor and affection, it stirs up hope. Now, what we might be tempted to say is, but can't we mess this up? Like, what about our sin? Like, okay, we go along in life, and I've trusted in him, but then this week, I sinned. I lied. I lusted. I got jealous, I was greedy, I put other things before the Lord. Don't these, how does that affect my relationship with God? Do I then lose his affection, his pleasure, his love for us? I want you to listen to how Romans, how Paul talks about Abraham, okay? Look at this. Because his whole point is, it rests on faith not your performance, and therefore it's based upon grace. Therefore, you have hope. Now look at what he says. Verse 19. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. And he did not weaken in faith when he considered the barrenness of Sarah, his wife's womb. Verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And here's what faith is. He was, verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised to Abraham and Sarah. Now, some of you who are new to the scriptures, you might not fully understand why This is a big deal. But if you know the life of Abraham, it's a big deal. Because the first thing when I read this is, what do you mean he did not waver? He lied and said that his wife was his sister. In order that a foreign ruler might not kill him. And then, Genesis 16, after the promise has been made, he goes and he 
sleeps with Hagar in order to help the promise to come and his own terms. It's not his wife. And yet the summary of his life is he did not weaken in faith. No distrust made him waver concerning the promises of God. Now how do you reconcile those two things? That sounds like wavering to me. What do you think? It sounds like some weakness. What do you think? How and what, what is Paul doing here? Is he not being truthful? I think what you're getting is God's view of his people. Here's something that's interesting. Sometimes the Bible is really, really, really blunt about the grossness and destructiveness and the ramifications of sin. And so he strongly looks and says, do not sin, repent, turn, because it's destroying your life. It's against me, he says. You're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. He speaks really bluntly, really strongly about sin. Why? Because love requires that we don't push sin under the rug and that we tell people of the good news that if you confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. That's why. But here's something that's interesting, and I think this is what's happening here. Sometimes God is really, really blunt in this way, in that he is overlooking sin. And I think that's what he's doing here. Because at the end of the day, you will be judged by faith in the Son of God. You will not be accepted because your good outweighs your bad. You will not be graded because you did this thing or didn't do this thing. It is by even a weak faith. If you notice, he talks about weak and strong faith, but he doesn't say he's like an unbeliever. There's weak faith, there's strong faith. What is he doing? He is highlighting the way grace looks on the, you and your sin. The trajectory. It, Abraham's life is like this. Bing, 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 up and down all the way. But the trajectory is. His faith grew stronger. And as you look at his life as, as a whole. His faith endured. And here's what I want you to hear. God does not treat you and I as our sins deserve. But he looks at your life. And he says this, although you've been all over the place, I see that your faith has kept going. That suffering, although it might have really dropped you down, what it did is it actually sprung you up higher because you began to trust me. And your faith is building and building. And you know who gets glory from that? Not you and me, <laughs> because faith is receiving he gets glory that he's kept us to the end. Look at what we hear. What we hear is the overall 
view of the life of Abraham is that he was a man of faith. He doesn't feel the need to point out Hagar. He doesn't feel the need to point out his lying because the trajectory is he kept trusting in the promises of God. Imperfect though they were. And we do see that his faith increased with his son, right? Isaac, take him to the top of the hill. He was willing to kill his only son. He began to trust and his faith did increase. There would be kind of a, a growing measure of your faith. All that's owing to God. I was reading the Bible this week, and the Lord just met me in several passages, but my wife and I were talking a little bit about a Bible study she was doing with some teenage girls, and uh, the Lord met them as they were reading 1 John 1, 9 and 10. And I want you to listen to these verses, and the Lord just used this in my own personal time. Look at these verses with me. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Now let's be clear. What you should expect right now is this. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to punish your sins. That's what you should expect. If you confess that you punched him in the nose... You should expect some sense of punishment for that action, right? He's faithful and he's just. Now, what do we get? He's faithful and just to forgive. That doesn't compute. Justice punishes. If he's faithful... To his holiness, he punishes. But what's the text say? If we confess our sins, his faithfulness, his justice forgives. What's he faithful to? He's faithful to the promise made to Abraham. That all those who trust in Abraham's offspring, all those who trust in Jesus, all those who believe that Jesus bore the punishment that we deserve, all those who believe that will receive forgiveness and life eternal. So how is he faithful? He's faithful to his promise. He's faithful to the sacrifice of his son. How is he just? He's punished his son so he does not have to punish you. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to wash us clean of all unrighteousness. That is his disposition towards you. He washes you clean. That's why I said confession is meant to be a place of safety, not something you fear. Because all the fear was placed upon the Son. All the just punishment and wrath was placed upon Jesus. He crushed his son so we wouldn't be crushed. So when you go to him, you go as a loving father who promises to wash you clean. He's safe. And this is the picture of grace. He washes you clean. And then look at 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ. The next two words. The righteous. Our righteousness is in Jesus. It's in Jesus. He's the righteous one. So not only do we have our sins washed, we have his righteousness given from faith to grace. 
And if we live in that grace, we have hope. We have hope. So now, look at the next idea. This idea of hope against hope. So when God views us with grace and affection and pleasure, it gives us hope. But what about the circumstances that come and cloud the hope? This is what we talked about a little bit last week. Look at the text. It says, That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but to also those who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I made you the father of many nations. Now listen to this qualifying phrase. This promise seems really big, really audacious. Can God really do it? And then listen to how he describes our God. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope. He just told us how Abraham had hope when everything looked hopeless. It was because of those promises. Look at the promises again. Who is this God who will make Abraham the father of many nations? It is this God who promises that he is with you. You see that? In the presence of the God in whom he believed. God was with him. God was not absent. Where does hope come? It comes in the belief that God is with you right now. No matter how your circumstances look, God is with you. That's where his hope came from. Look at the next phrase. Who gives life to the dead. Barrenness in that culture brought with it such shame that you were in some senses as good as dead. Such shame in that culture. Public sense of rejection. And so it was almost like a double death. I'm as good as dead, meaning I'm really old, and Sarah is barren, so she's socially, quote, dead to those around her. What brings hope to such a category of death? The God here who gives life to the dead. The God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's the one that brings hope when everything looks like it's death. When your circumstances look like it is as good as dead, I can't even see a sliver of light. What we have is a God who brings dead things and makes them alive. A God who calls things that did not exist into existence. This is where hope comes from. These are not just throwaway phrases. These are the phrases that give all the fuel for the hope of Abraham. That's why. He had hope against hope. He believed in that God. He believed in that God. And my dear friend Tim Kaine, pastor in San Diego, he says this, hope is the fuel for try. Hope is the fuel for try. 
when you believe God is with you, when you believe he brings dead things and makes them alive, when you believe he calls out of nothing into existence, when you believe that he is able to keep his promise, you have hope, and hope keeps you trying. Hope keeps you going, even when everything in your mind, everything in your body says, don't keep trying. Abraham hoped against hope. He kept living life. He kept seeking to be faithful. Yesterday, I had the privilege to go to a funeral of one of our dear members who had lost his daddy, Nick Smith. And Nick's dad had battled with Alzheimer's for over six years. And Nick and his brother Adam stood up at the funeral and gave testimony about their dad. And it was just precious. And Nick did an amazing job of articulating his love for his father, articulating how he just is not the same person because his dad was a man of kindness and integrity and was just able to speak kind words about his dad who was imperfect and all these things. But he also just pointed to his heavenly father and how his hope was in his heavenly father. Did just a beautiful job. And then his brother Adam gets up. Adam is a believer as well. And Adam shared again about the kindness of his dad, about the fun times they had going go-kart racing as a, as a family. And he says, I think about him and I miss him every day. And then he said, but I must be honest. And then you could hear a pin drop in the room. He says, I've been bitter at God. Because for six years, for six years, my dad suffered with dementia. And he would forget things, and then he eventually forgot me. Didn't even know who I was. He said he was bitter at the Lord for picking his family for such a bad disease. He said he was hurting because the hell his mom went through as a caretaker. And the sadness that he felt that this brokenness had inflicted his daddy. And that his absence, had, as he said, had become normal. All of that was loss and lament and grief. And he stood there. And I really wondered where he was going to go with this. And then he said there's a theme throughout the Bible. About the people of God forgetting. It says, and they forgot this. And they forgot that. They forgot the Lord's salvation. The people of God are often talked about as those who are forgetful. And so what you read often in the scriptures is God calling the people of God to remember. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember his presence. Remember his love. Remember his promises. And he kept going. And he says, I often crumble and complain and forget. He says, it hit me that I too have dementia of a spiritual form. I have forgotten the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And he said, 
that what God has done in my life is he has helped me to remember in the depths of this pain the sufferings of Christ in my place. And he has helped me long for that time when right now my dad's mind is clear. Hope against hope, friends. Where does hope come from when we are in such sickness, in such brokenness? It comes not by denying pain exists, but by being honest about that pain. But also being honest about the sinful bitterness that was kind of creeping in around the heart and choking out faith and him being able to say, God, I am bitter. There's no way he could have said that to us if he had not first said it to God. In faith, he took that and elevated it and said, God, this is the state of my heart. I lament over the loss. And some of us just need to do that. At minimum, 2020 and early 2021 were massive losses for so many people. For some, it goes back even further. But you need to be able to be clear and articulate, and not articulate, like what I mean is precise, that in all of your rawness, God doesn't make you need, to, need you to be articulate. He wants you to bring to him all of your pains with specificity. And say, God, this is my brokenness. This is my bitterness. These are the losses I have experienced. And I just want to give them to you. I want to give them to you. And then I want to sit with you. And I need you to, to work in my life. I need, I just want to say, not my will, but yours be done. Give me hope against hope. Give me hope against hope. And so, friends, what we see in the Scriptures, it says, verse 18, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told. You're told a lot of things in the Scriptures. Massive, audacious things. Here's some of them. Jesus Christ died in your place. And he rose from the dead. And if you trust in him, you'll be given eternal life with him forever. And when you trust in him, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Miracle. And that you will never be left alone ever again. Let that sit on you because you and I forget it. I can watch the Olympics and forget it. I can watch a movie and forget it. I can experience one difficult conversation with my wife and forget it. One hard parenting moment and forget it. I can wake up and have had a wonderful day the day before and wake up and feel discouraged for almost no reason at all. And forget it. The scriptures, our time in church, week in and week out, is so that we will not forget God has promised us. He is with us. He will not leave us. He is strong. He is mighty. When we are weak, it only shows off his strength even more. He has given us the church, not as one plan, but as the plan 
to make us more like Jesus. And he has promised that together, through our fallible mouths, that he's going to use the gospel coming off of these lips to speak to people who've never heard of Jesus, and he will crush their hard heart, and he will give life to their soul, and he will call dead people and make them alive. This is what he does. And he's not only going to do that in one city, he's going to do it among all the peoples of the world. There will be a representation of every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. That's how big our God is. And he will be worshipped on that last day by people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, including you who have faith in Jesus. This is a massive promise to you and I. That's where we're headed. Faith in that. Faith now that he's going to use you even in your brokenness. Hope against hope. That's what we see with Abraham. He just trusted in all of his weakness that God's going to keep his promises. I just pray. You know God's going to keep his promises. Because you know something, friends? Our hope is rooted in certainty. And these are the last two verses that we read. But the words... Last three. Verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone not for Abraham's alone but for ours also and look at these next words it will be counted to us who believe in him it will it will be counted to us this same word is used in Matthew 17:12 so also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands, as sure as the promise that Jesus would come and that he would die and that he rose from the dead is the promise that by faith you will be given a righteousness that you do not deserve. You will receive grace. It's certain. It will happen. Look at it. It will be counted to us who believe in him. Who's the him? What are we trusting in? In him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Why does he tell us this? If he can overcome the grave, your circumstances are not too difficult for God. And if he did not spare his own son, but gave his own son over for us all, how will he not also in Christ Jesus give us everything we need? I just quoted Romans 8.32. That's a promise to you and I. That's where he is ending we are not just trusting in an idea. We are not just trusting in, I hope this happens. We are trusting in a certainty. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that we could not live. He died in our place. Our sins placed upon him. He was raised from the dead. And we're trusting in that God to, to continue to do a work in our hearts. Look at the text. Raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses. And if he was delivered up, our sins washed, we cleansed, and he was raised for our justification. When he was raised from the dead, it showed that he is able to make us right with God. We sung a hymn at the funeral yesterday. They had hymn books. Hadn't seen one of those beasts in quite a while. Grew up with them. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. I grew up in an 
old, uh, I grew up in a church that had been established for a while, and, you know, underneath the pews or in front of a pew, a pew is like this big, massive row, you know, not chairs. And so this big, massive row, you're sitting on the pew, and you pull out this hymnal, and you open it up, and it's got all these notes on it. I don't know if you've seen that, but, you know, you can, like, sing four-part harmony because it's got these notes there, you know. And so, like, they've got the notes there, and you pull out, and you open up. And it was amazing. So I had my little son with me, Justice, and as he was with me, I was like, have you ever seen one of these? Uh-uh. And so, you know, I opened up that thing, and like, what's going on right there? Okay, so we're, you know, you can follow these notes. We're reading. I didn't even need the words to this hymn because I had grown up singing this song, It Was Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story, how the Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch, a sinner like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented. I said I was wrong. That I couldn't save myself. I repented of my sin and won the victory. He won it for us. His victory, our victory, by faith. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power, revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow, it's called grace, Jesus came and he brought to me a victory I did not deserve. He brought to me a victory. A victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. He sought me. He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him. And all my love is due Him. He plunged me in His blood. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Dear friends, hope against hope, a hope that will not put us to shame, but a hope that is in something certain. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus which secures all the promises of God for you and for me. So in all of our weakness, let's help one another to hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, and I pray that you would draw near to us and encourage us that there is nothing too difficult for you. Your arm is not too short to save. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would come right now in power. Father, as I think about this precious church, individuals' lives who have been saved and redeemed, and I think about how all of our stories going in so many different directions. You've brought us together. And I think about the vision of this church to treasure Christ above all. To seek to love one another as we have been loved. 
to treasure Christ together and to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, to go out and to speak a gospel and that you would multiply our number through conversions and through strengthening your people and that you have allowed us to be a part of church planting and you've allowed us to be a part of reaching the nations together. You've allowed us to be a family together. Father, we are undeserving of this grace. And our foundation, our common sense of purpose is all summarized in our victory is in Jesus. And so, Father, I ask. I ask that you would, in this moment, crush our pride that says you are unable that says you don't understand our pain and instead grant us humility you say that you dwell with a broken with those who are broken who have a broken and contrite heart God I ask that you would break hearts all over this room and not break us all towards self-condemnation but towards hope towards refreshment that you will not leave us alone and that you are a safe place for us to share our bitterness, our pain, our jealousy, our sin struggles. And I just pray that, Father, what happens is an eruption in our hearts of verticality, that we just start taking all of our difficulties and our struggles to you because you want us. You want our struggles. And so, Father, please just finally break the chains, remove the, the shackles, Rip away the scales from our eyes. Chisel away the hard heart and cause us to say, maybe for the first time ever, I am unable to fix myself. And Father, I trust that you are able. And I don't know how it's going to work, but I just give it to you. I give you my life. And Father, I ask that what you would do is may you, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may start abounding in hope. Bring hope to your people. I'm going to give just a little space here for you to do whatever God is probing you to do. Confess your sins for the first time and confess that He is Savior ready to save you. Confess and trust in Jesus today to just give him something that you've been trying to hold on your own. And after a few minutes, then we will stand and sing together. But let's spend some time with you.